The Motivational Moments podcast is made possible by the generous sponsorship of Prime Information Security, online at www.primeinfosec.com, and with the support of our many subscribers. Thank you. Hello everyone, this is Linda Ockwell-Jenner from Motivational Steps. And today I'm very, very excited to be interviewing Steve Bentley. And I'm going to leave Steve to um, tell you a little bit about himself. But first of all, I'd like to welcome Steve. Hi, Steve. How are you today? I am fine. How are you? And what kind of day are you having today? A busy day or a very kind of laid back and having a rest day? Oh, it's always a productive day. Well, I'd like you to share with our listeners what exactly it is you do, Steve. I am a certified financial planner, and I operate my own financial planning firm here in Kitchener, Ontario. And what's your company called? My company is called Bentley Financial, and we've been in business since 2003. So I'm guessing you really enjoy what you do. Absolutely. I think one of the best things is getting to meet a lot of different people and working with a lot of businesses and individuals and uh, working to help them in their in their financial planning. So what kind of background have you got, Steve? I mean, first of all, did you you know, end up at high school and say to yourself, I want to be a financial planner when I grow up or, you know? Oh, no, no. Like many people these days, I ended up taking a number of different career paths. I know you went through the same thing. And I actually started out, uh, went, graduated from high school and went to attend the Royal Canadian Military College. And I became a naval officer. Wow. And subsequently through the Canadian Forces, and I took my time and did the time I had to do there. I got into finance with the Canadian Forces and then transitioned into uh, becoming a certified management accountant when I was in my early days and worked in different industries and uh, ended up going to work with Revenue Canada for a number of years to learn tax from the inside and uh-huh. eventually drifted into public accounting with Ernst & Young and uh, in private consulting and in contingency tax consulting. Whoa, that's wonderful. Now, why the military? What what kind of gave you a sense that was where you wanted to head first? You know, I've always had a background. My father, uh, military. My grandfather was in British military. He was in the Second World War and drove a landing craft over to wow. D-Day and uh, sort of went from there and went through the air cadets and the Army Reserve and went into the regular force uh, in the Navy. So. That's it was so, a background, a that, family that's background. That's so interesting. Now, did you have any pressure from home? I mean, what kind of parents did you have? That may sound weird, but I think a lot of parents um, are very supportive of, um, you know, their children's choices, but some parents may want to push, you know, their children into a certain area. What were your parents like? Uh, they were very supportive. My parents divorced when we were 11, but uh, or at least when I was 11, but they were definitely friends, and they, they worked collectively in terms of our upbringing. And I think it was an open book, really, of what I decided to pursue. I guess I was a little assertive, and uh, and, and they felt that uh, you know I was making appropriate choices and, and certainly supported the choices I made. I noticed, though, you really did stick to that you know, road of financial. That was something you were passionate about, or... You determined early on, well, it's something I excel at, so I'll do it, but I don't really like it. Well, I think where it came from is my uh, degree, actually my Bachelor of Arts degree is in Economics and Commerce. That's what I took at the Royal Military College of Canada. So it sort of started there. And, uh, of course, when I went in the Navy, it was more being a ship's officer and uh, not really dealing with the financial side of it a lot. But I I think what really I reflected on was... uh, 
in those days, Canadian Forces was really lacking a lot of money, so we didn't do a lot actively. We didn't do a lot of deployments, and I guess I always say to people, you know, I was getting tired of sailing around Vancouver Island, so <laughs> I decided to uh, make a change that, that would be more productive and I'd be more satisfied with. Yeah. Now, we do have a lot of um, students, believe it or not, students, entrepreneurs. We have a really um, good range of subscribers listening to Motivational Moments podcast. So for anyone out there listening who who may be at high school and thinking of entering the world of you know finances as you did, what, what would be their first step? What kind of advice would you give to them? I think they need to be self-informed, first of all. There's a lot of information out there about the various career choices. And in terms of going into the financial services industry, um, there's a lot of different ways of doing that. But I think if they have a true passion for it, they should follow their passion and, and do whatever they can to not only enhance their skill set, but to find those opportunities that are out there and uh, you know learn from the inside out. I guess when I looked at the time I spent at Revenue Canada, as an example, it was really not to make a career move there. It was just to learn about mm-hmm. uh, the tax system in Canada from the inside. So so I think any time there's an opportunity, take it and, you know, see that uh, there's a lot of people out there who are willing to talk to you, sit down with you, assist you. And I think if I even look at my own son's career progression in, in universities, just finished the first year at university at Laurier. And being 17, he really didn't have a clear direction of what he wanted to do. And so I think my instruction with him is, you know, pick something that you think you might enjoy and then just pursue it. And eventually that road will take you in many different directions and you know but you've got to always work hard and consistently and you're not going to get anywhere unless you actually put the effort into it it's really good advice now this sounds like a really weird question again but is it true that all financial advisors are really really rich and you know earn lots of money and can retire really early <laughs> you know what i think it's with any career you're going to have people who are making adequate income and you're going to have people who are very good at what they do and, and make absolutely stellar income but <laughs> I think it's where you want to find your fit. You know, I think if you're going into the business to be driven by making as much money as possible, you sort of lose sight, I guess, of of what some of the important Mm -hmm. things are. And, you know, in terms of the financial advisors, the financial planners out there, 95% of them are are very legitimate. But, Mm -hmm. you know, there's some that I think are a little too personally focused and and need to take a step back and look at why they're in the business, the client they're servicing, and ensuring the client is getting the satisfaction from that relationship. So how do how do you find that the right financial advisor for you personally, not you, but say, so I'm looking for a financial advisor and I don't know you, um, how would I go about finding someone that would suit my needs and also my personality type? I think you just hit the nail right on the head there. I think, you know, there are many different types of advisors out there, but one that's suited to your personality, one that's suited to your goals and objectives. And I think the, the way I say it to people is a lot of people out there, but you need to sort start by talking to people you know, people that they might be working with, and sort of start, you know, with respect of being referred or being introduced. I think that's the best way to meet and find financial advisors. Mm-hmm. Just picking a name out of a phone book or, or seeing a name on a billboard, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be able to assist you the way you need to. So you need to source people you feel there's there's a bit of a connection with, either through somebody you know or just maybe what you might know about what they do in the community. And, and then treat it like a job interview. I mean, essentially pick a couple of names and then interview them. And there's lots of resources. I mean, that's the great thing with the Internet. If you just even Google, you know, how do I choose a financial planner? How do I choose a financial advisor? Mm-hmm. There's many sites that will come up and give you questions to ask. And so you go through those questions mm-hmm. and you ask them very specifically. But ultimately, once you feel a comfort, you need to make sure that that person 
is sort of on the same page as you in terms of the, your goals, your ambitions, but certainly your personality traits. And don't just take the first person. Make sure you're comfortable and, and test drive that relationship, you know. Just work for them for a little while and, and, and see what uh, comes out of that relationship, and hopefully it goes in the right direction. But but be afraid to ask questions. I think when I deal with clients specifically, when I'm, you know they need to know that it's a two-way process. And you know as much as I am providing advice, I need to understand that they understand what we're doing and why we're doing it and making sure that it actually fits what their needs are. Wow, that's fantastic advice because um, I guess my very first financial advisor many, many years ago before I met Dave, my husband, who you you know Dave and I personally, which is wonderful, I was a little bit scared and I wondered if A, the guy would run away with what little money I had left or if I'd be pushed into making choices that I wasn't comfortable with and I guess that wasn't the right scenario for me. So it wasn't until Dave came along that I got my trust back again and realized that really the ball's in my court, isn't it? I shouldn't be pushed into anything. Absolutely. I think you've got to be self-informed, too. I mean, that whole aspect of developing that relationship, developing that trust is not something that's going to happen overnight, but something that you work towards and that mutual respect. But I think if you're looking at, you know, there's a lot of scary stories about out there about, you know, Ponzi schemes and financial advisors mm-hmm. who are taking people's money. But in a lot of cases, the promises that are made and what's put on the table are, are, are pie in the sky, and people need to do their due diligence and, and make sure they're self-informed mm-hmm. about the choices they're making. And, you know, that that's the difficult thing in this industry, just like in any industry, is there's going to be people who taint it and give it a bad name. And it, it, it's it's not funny, it's quite sad in a way, but I get the idea that maybe sometimes you do get blamed wrongly because of choices, say, say I'm your client and I make some choices and I'm happy about the choices, but they didn't go the right way, I guess then I may lay the blame on you, even though I made a really, really considered choice, um, and then you have to deal with the reper- repercussions of that, you've acted you know, properly, but you can't always please your clients, can you? Well, I, I think if you think you're going to please everybody all the time, you're wrong. Um, I think the key thing you got to understand is from your perspective is that you have done your homework and making sure you're making a choice that's appropriate to you. But ultimately, that relationship or that fiduciary relationship with your financial planner or advisor on his end or on her end, they're actually making very clear and detailed notes of the relationship mm-hmm. and the questions asked and the answers you know provided. So you know when we're looking at it from our perspective, you know ultimately we're responsible for the you know enacting those choices of the client. But you know it comes down to the fact that we make sure we've done our homework too, making you know clear and be able to provide the information to support any decisions that we have made and recommendations mm-hmm. we've made. But I think ultimately really what comes down is there's a lot of piecemeal in the sense that a lot of people go here for a certain part of their financial advice and go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And the consolidation and working through a formalized financial plan really is the you know, I guess the, the, the manual or the goal-setting document that you should work from. So there's a clear understanding both ways. Now, have you ever fired a client because you felt that you couldn't help them? I Absolutely. You know, <laughs> I, I think that's what you, you have to understand is you can't help everybody all the time. And certainly, you know, when you look at it from two ways, number one, it, it's a very, you know, in our, in our capacity, we have to really maintain a very a very high degree of professional standards and ethics and sometimes if we come across people who really don't fit within that model and we don't feel we can work with them certainly you know we either decline to move forward or in situations where you know a client takes a you know significant change in direction or is insisting that you take certain actions that you're mm-hmm. not comfortable with absolutely mm-hmm. now 
where do you find your clients? I mean, that may sound a silly question, but in the early days when you were starting your business in the beginning, um, how did you find your clients and was it a difficult process or did you find it easy? Never easy. Never no. easy. I, I think the, the, the thing is that, uh, particularly in the Kitchener-Waterloo area, there's, there's a very high density of people in the financial advisory or financial planning business. But certainly anybody starting out, you know, the immediate thing that we are always taught is that there's two circles that we work with. That's our natural market and that's our unnatural market. And certainly working in the natural market gives everybody a very degree, significant degree of comfort because, you know, they're friends and family. But if you're going to be successful in this business very early on, you have to find a way of making uh, entry into that, you know, that unnatural market. And most people are not comfortable with that, you know. Mm-hmm. And you hear in, in, in this business and like lots of other businesses, you know, picking up the phone and calling somebody you don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a lot of time and effort. And so where I think I started is I made it very clear in my career that when I was going to start the, the you know the marketing side of it, I wasn't going to do the cold calling. I wasn't going to call people out of the blue that I didn't know and they didn't know me. And it really ends up being a very, very futile uh, type of, of, of you know, mm-hmm. processing of time. But really trying to find introductions and referrals is the key way we build our business. And so talking to people, making sure if they're happy with what we're doing, that if there's anybody that we can assist, then, you know, making that introduction and, and getting that uh, referral is really where we want to ultimately build our business from. So early in the days, we did a lot of things, you know, like going to shows and even knocking on doors and, you know, talking to people and, and you know, spent a lot of time, but it takes a lot of effort and a lot of consistent effort. And I think where a lot of people fail in this business is they don't stick with a certain method or they try something very quickly, don't get the results they want, and they move on to something different. And there's no plan. You need a marketing plan. You need a very clear plan for how you're going to grow your business. And you need to work those channels very, very clearly and very concisely and, you know, not give up on them very early. But Ultimately, when you're making enough introductions, enough referrals to start coming in, and then eventually you're building your business from within. And then I think the other key part of it is, you know, the networking side of it is part of being, you know, involved in different networking organizations and mm-hmm. affiliating yourself with what we call centers of influence or people that are in comparable professions such as accounting or lawyers or real estate agents or mortgage brokers because we're all in a way involved in the financial services uh, community and so we're able to help each other that way but clearly what's important is those relationships have to be two-way and and we have to always ensure that the client's interests are are paramount. Now um, what kind of networking events would you attend? Would you primarily um, like you just mentioned, go to networking events where there were lawyers and, and those kinds of people, or would you attend networking events with a mixed kind of, you know, attendance? How, how do you choose the right networking event for your particular purpose? I think consistency is something that develops over time, but I think there's two very specific ways that we would choose to network. And number one, going to generic networking events, in other words, not very industry focus but more open to the community where you know particularly let's say small business people or you know individuals in various capacities who are ultimately looking for the same thing and mm-hmm. certainly making those introductions because you know we can be too isolated if we're just concentrating on meeting with the people that do sort of something similar to what we do mm-hmm. and I think those kind of relationships are more the one-on-one, um, not so much going to an event where, you know, there's a room full of mortgage brokers or something of that mm-hmm. nature. Because, you know, they're all competitive. They've all got prior relationships. So it's very hard. So I think you 
really want to get out there. But I think that it's just meeting as many people as possible. And I think the ultimate thing about any networking event we choose to do is we don't want to go on there on a hard sell. We want to go in there just to talk to people, answer mm-hmm. questions, facilitate inform- the provision of information. And, you know, generically when you go one-on-one in a group with people, they're they're not necessarily open to talking about their financial situation. No. So, <laughs> you know, it might talk about the economy. You might talk about the local business markets. You might talk about, you know, the particular difficulties a certain sector of, of you know, business in, in, in any particular area is encountering. I think people are always looking for information, you know, and it's yeah. a question of not, you know, making making it clear that you they know what you do, but certainly not forcing it down the throat. Do you ever find people are a bit scared of you and think, oh, no, here he comes, he's going to try and sell me something? Uh, I, yeah, you know what, that's the first thing I'll defeat when I talk to somebody <laughs> is, you know, I'm not here to sell you a specific product. I'm not a type of person in the sense that I like to look at it from a holistic perspective. In other words, if I can help somebody, you know, deal with a certain situation in their lifestyle or to answer some questions, that's sort of where it starts. And I think, you know, that conceptual or soft selling is really what I think is is the key in our business because, you know, nobody wants to have somebody walk up to them and say, do you need life insurance? (laughs) You know, know, everybody's had that discussion. But there may be some things that they didn't think about when they had that discussion. Mm -hmm. Bottom line, when you're meeting with anybody, it's really to just try and introduce have that introductory uh, discussion, and then seeing if there's a mutual reason to maybe sit down and just chat. And then once you go from there, if there's a you know a valid way that you can assist them, I think you have to be able to demonstrate that. Yeah. And if you can demonstrate there's a way that you can help them, then we, in any respect of an engagement with a client, want to work towards um, you know identifying their objectives, identifying their needs, looking at their demographics, and, and helping them understand what their choices are. Is it a nine to five job? I mean. <laughs> Do you, do you get evenings and weekends off, or is it a 24-7 kind of job? Or Well, I think it depends on where you are in the stage of your business. Um, certainly, I think people need to understand that uh, you need your time off, too. Because, you, you know, when early in this business, people are going to be working all day. You know, they're going to be working from the morning and working into the early evening. Ultimately, if you're meeting with individuals, that's the time you need to meet them because they're working during the day and until you need to be able to deal with and meet with them at night at at their convenience and Mm -hmm. certainly working the weekends as well because you've got to work very hard in the early part of this kind of profession to to continue to build your clientele. Mm -hmm. Now, but you need to also look at it and run it as a business in the sense that, you know, you've got other requirements, other responsibilities such as family such as, you know, community involvement, charitable involvement. Mm-hmm. And so I think the thing is you need to really manage your time properly and make sure not only are you booking off appropriate time for all your endeavors, but also making sure you have some downtime because people can get burnt out in any industry or in any business if they if they don't allow themselves some time to just relax. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. I'm guessing, like anything really, we can create our own stress, but we can be proactive like you obviously are and and say, well, I know I'm going to get stressed, but I'm going to balance my time and that kind of thing. So when is your busiest period? I'm guessing kind of early, what, January to say, I don't know, end of May, April, uh, sorry, end of April or... Yeah, you know, it, there's various phases, and it really depends on the nature of the client work that we end up doing. But certainly, if you're looking at the summer months, those are the down months for us. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants to go on vacation, spend time with their family, not thinking about, 
you know, some of the softer things of life, like the financial plans and the goals and buying insurance and investments. And so we tend to find that that works fine. You know, right. think of it as a teacher. It's nice to have the summer to sort of, you know, take a little bit more time and spend time, you know, not only with your family, but also looking forward to where your business year is going to go. So when we're starting into, you know, October, probably right, right through to April, we're we're consistently busy because we're not dealing with, you know, um, many different things that sort of fall into place, but certainly, you know, the, the, the wealth season, you know, people look at RSPs, looking at RSP planning, mm-hmm. looking at tax planning towards the end of the year, actively into the first two months of the year, and then that flows into tax season and, and working on the tax side of filing and, you know, the consistent planning. So I think when you look at our downtime, it really is used to sort of plan our year ahead so that we can have sort of a roadmap to follow and you know, work a lot of the stuff that that we need to in, in the time that we have and then be able to put more effort and time into into meeting and dealing with clients. Now, is a lot of this downtime also taken up with keeping up or with the trends or the new rules and regulations, policies and procedures, privacy laws? I'm guessing you must have to be on top of all those things. Absolutely. And that that is probably one of the hardest things that... Uh, it, well, you know what? It's not even just our industry. There's a lot of industries that are, are mm. dealing with the compliance issues, the privacy yeah. issues, the changes. I mean, you're looking right now at, you know, the federal government going towards a national regulator for securities. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's a whole different set of parameters with that. You know, anything, you know, it, we're not only just keeping up in terms of uh, changes in, in what's out there in terms of our product offerings, but changes in products, but certainly changes in government legislation, tax law, even in our own professions as a certified financial planner, keeping up on top of the professional requirements, the educational requirements, the wealth of information available to us, though, really helps us. And, uh, you know, as a CFP, we have a continuing educational requirement, which requires us to really put a lot of time into the educational and skill development side every year in order mm-hmm. to maintain that designation. So it really is something where you've got to find your avenues that's going to have to flow that information and provide that information to you so that it is a little easier. But certainly in any week, there's time allocated to making sure that you've got, you know, the, the time to go through a lot of those changes and making sure you're up to date with what's happening, not only in, you know, the profession, but also, you know, just general with the economy. Do you ever, sometimes when you're going through one of your busiest periods and you may be stressed and things are not going completely right, do you ever wish you'd chosen another profession? No. That's you know, I, I think there has to be a commitment at some point in someone's life. And, you know, I think the biggest thing for me was for years working as an employee and, you know, having, you know, your time dictated and a lot of the rewarded effort, you know, really was going to somebody else and mm-hmm. sure you got compensated, but, you know, you really didn't have full control over what you did and how you did it. And certainly when you become self-employed and have your own business, uh, the rewards are there. The rewards are there. And certainly, you know, like if you look at tomorrow, I want to take a couple hours and watch the first soccer game in the World Cup for 2010. I can do that. But if you're working a nine-to-five job, that isn't necessarily something that you can do. So you got to start early and, and work hard, and eventually your business will start paying you back. Yeah, that's wonderful. That's, that's absolutely wonderful. I can hear the passion in your voice, and I can, I can hear the commitment. So what do you do? to in your down times i know you have holidays with your family and you have you know children stuff like that you have a lot of commitments there but do you play golf do you are you a hockey player what do you do in your down time to to say okay it's my time now you know, I, I think with with a family, there's there's uh, sort of a bit of both in the sense that if I'm looking at my 
time. I like to play golf. I certainly like to play soccer, watch soccer. Um, you know, English families where I come from, the, <laughs> yeah. the big thing, football, as we like to call it. Yeah. Um, but certainly spending a lot of time with family, too. I mean, different sons. I have two boys, uh, both oh. teenagers. And, you know, there's a transition where they become much more, you know, involved in their own activities. And mm-hmm. so you just find a little more time to just, you know, sit back, relax, spend some time at home, do some oh. gardening, go out to see a movie. Um, certainly spending time, you know, up north. It's just, you know, trying to find that. But it's it, like I said before, it's scheduling that and making sure you mm-hmm. have that. And, you know, you certainly do respect it once you have that and you're consistently applying your time um, to, to things that you just find some way of, of getting away from the world and getting away from the pressures of, you know, not only your business but everything else is on you. And, and you need to be able to find those things that are being able to bring you down a level so that you can, mm-hmm. if you like the word chill, just relax and, <laughs> and enjoy. That's good to hear. Uh, some yeah. downtime. That's, that's good to hear. Now, how are you coping with this uh, new social media that's all the buzz today? Do you find that's helping your industry? Do you find it's a bit of a pain in the neck? I mean... Do you accept it for what it is? Does it make your life easier even? Absolutely. You know, I think in our if you take a step back and say, well, what did we do before we had social networking? I mean, for us, it's all about marketing. It's all about getting our name out there, getting our introductions, you know, making sure people are aware that we're there. And before, it was you know, a lot of, of trial and tribulation because you would do a lot of direct advertising, maybe direct mail, and, and the costs associated with, with some of the you know the production of, of materials and and the costs of of running some of those programs. Really, you looked at how much you were spending and what kind of return you were getting on it. I think you always got to look at that too. Is you know whatever you're investing, you got to make sure there's a rate of return on it. You know you want to make sure that's providing something back to you. So the nice thing about the social networking is you know there is no cost for it, and there's a lot of ways that you can interconnect. And you know whether it's through your Twitter or Facebook or, or through LinkedIn, just as a couple of examples. Certainly having a a blog and being able to direct people there. I mean, one key thing we've moved away from is a lot of direct client mailing, and we've moved more to an electronic format where a lot of our communication on educational things or changes in, in you know that they need to know about in terms of taxes or you know mortgages can be communicated electronically. So, you know, we actually have even gone to the point where a lot of the birthday cards we send out now are going out electronically because, it, you know, the cost of putting it in the mail, you know, it, I think it gives you the same... Um, kind of respect and, and response when people are picking those things up in their own time and their own leisure and not being forced to pull out all this junk mail from their <laughs> mailbox. So. You speak in good sense. You really are, Steve. You're a wonderful, wonderful um, person, and that's why I love being connected to you, and I like to consider you a friend. You've definitely opened my eyes, um, you know, in the financial sense about what you offer and everything that you have to do to fit into your day because, you know, we do get this idea that you have an easy life, you sell us some life insurance or whatever, then you go and play golf and then you don't do anything for a week because you've made lots of money. But there's a lot of it commitment, financial and otherwise. Um, obviously, you've got to keep connected with as many people as possible and, and so they remember you and, and, and you build those relationships. So what are the three things that you'd you'd recommend to anyone who did either want to get into your profession or um, were thinking maybe, again, of looking for an, an advisor such as you, what are the three tips that, that you would offer? First of all, for somebody out there who wants to get into your profession, what are the three tips you'd offer them first and foremost? 
be, be informed. I think they need to go out and speak with people who are in the profession and making sure that what they're looking at is really what is going to come into fruition for them if they go into that career. Number two, making sure that they are as well-educated as possible because in this profession, um, the mandate at some point in the near future is going to be everybody is going to have to have a professional designation such as a certified financial planning designation. And number three, be realistic. It's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take a lot of commitment. It's going to take a lot of effort, and it will take money. You know, you have to invest in yourself, invest in your business in order for it to grow and be able to pay back, you know, at some point in, in, in that process. Mm-hmm. Good you know, on so, tips, yeah. So uh, it, if it was someone, again, I know we covered this briefly at the beginning, but just to put everybody's mind at rest, three simple tips for if they are looking for a financial advisor anywhere in the world, again, what are the three simple tips that they could find one that they know may be the person for them? Number one, Make sure you go through and do a, you know, a due diligence in the sense of finding out what it is you are specifically looking for. Number two, making sure that you are finding people through referrals, through introductions, and that you go through that process of interviewing and making sure that you've talked to a number of different people and starting to find out that you know maybe there are people out there who aren't fit and those who are going to be a fit. And number three, making sure that that person is professionally designated because ultimately that is where the, the level of ethics and the level of professional standards needs to be, and, and certainly that should be a minimum that a lot of people are looking for. That's wonderful. Now, for the people who live in the um, in Ontario, in, in, in our location, Waterloo Region, how can these people contact you? Do you have a website address, a phone number? What would be the best way if they want to, you know, do a little research on you? Can you give us your website address first? Certainly can, www.bentleyfinancialoneword.ca. The other thing, too, is being in the social networking side, even just Googling or going onto a search engine and typing in Steve Bentley, CFP, you'll have a lot of hits that come up with different uh, areas that we have, uh, you know, information available on the net. And number three, certainly if it's, you know, a phone call, um, certainly our office number, 519-744-7325, or we do have a toll-free 1-888-88-BENTLEY. And so those are different ways people can get in touch with us. That's absolutely wonderful. And um, I remember when I first met you, my my first uh, response was, what a friendly guy, what an open and friendly guy. And then when I found out, you know, what, you know, what your work was, I was kind of glad that, you know, I got to know you as an open, friendly guy with no hidden agenda. And I've always found you very supportive, very honest, and, and very, very knowledgeable. So I'll thank you um, for taking time out of your busy schedule to let us interview you today. I really, really appreciate that. And uh, for anyone out there listening to the interview today with Steve Bentley, um, I can definitely, definitely re- recommend that, you know, if you want to connect with um, Steve for any reason at all, that he'll find time for you. And um, I just hope you have a wonderful evening, Steve. Are you working tonight or are you finished for the day? Yeah, actually, once we're off here, I'm off to a couple of appointments tonight. Like I said, I am taking time to watch some of the World Cup, too, so... Okay, so listen, you enjoy um, everything in life as you normally do. Enjoy the World Cup, and um, thank you again for taking the time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much for the opportunity.